You're listening to Time in the Word. Paul has clearly demonstrated that the law could not give the Holy Spirit, could not give the righteousness of God, could not give the blessing, and could not change the original covenant. The law, however, could give a curse. In the remaining verses of chapter 3, Paul continues to prove the superiority of the life of faith to that of legalism. This major section begins with a rhetorical question, why then was the law given? Since the promise was given to Abraham and to Christ, and since the law could not annul the promise, what was the purpose of God giving the law to Moses and to Israel? Why didn't he continue dealing with them on the basis of the covenant of promise given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why was there any change at Sinai? Paul anticipated such questions, thus they had to be addressed. Let us listen as Dr. Gonzalez begins his exposition of Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 29. Galatians 3, verse 19. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions unto the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power, so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs. We have, if you recall, Paul has clearly demonstrated in chapter 3 so far, up to verse 18, that the law could not give the Holy Spirit. He covered that in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. The law could not give the righteousness of God, verses 6 through 9, chapter 3. And it could not give the blessing, verse 14, and it could not change the original covenant, verses 15 through 18. The law could, however give a curse, according to chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. In the remaining verses of this chapter, verses 19 through 29, Paul continues to prove the superiority of the life of faith to that of legalism. The major section that we're covering now begins with a rhetorical question, and notice what the question is at the very beginning of verse 19. Why then was the law given? Since the promise was given to Abraham and to Christ, and since the law could not annul the promise, what was the purpose of God giving the law to Moses and to Israel? Why didn't he continue dealing with them on the basis of the covenant of promise that he had given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob? Why was there any change at Sinai? Well, those questions, without a doubt, were in 
Paul's mind, and he felt that they needed to be addressed. So he deals with some of these questions, answers some of these questions, addresses some of these questions in this remaining section of chapter 3. Now notice that after he asks the rhetorical question, he says, it was added, the law. It was added, and that phrase literally means it was placed before. The Israelites were totally aware of the divine restrictions that were being imposed on them. You recall in Exodus 19 verse 8, both before and after the law was read by Moses, the Israelites made this confession, we will do all that the Lord has spoken. Whereas divine promises are received with joy, the giving of the law produced fear. Look at, keep your place here in Galatians and look at Hebrews chapter 12 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 18 through 21. For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. Verse 21, the appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Yet we know that the experience of the Christian is just the opposite. Through Christ, we have free access into the holy presence of God. In Hebrews, go back a few chapters, go to chapter 4 for a moment, and I'm going to read two verses out of chapter 4, verses 16, or verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. What a contrast with what we read in chapter 12 of Hebrews. John explains in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, he says, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. So what is the reason for the addition of the law? Well, look at what he says in verse 19. It was added for the sake of transgression. It was designed, the law was designed to restrain fallen human nature. Imagine, if no restrictions were ever placed on unregenerate sinners, sinners would manifest their position in every conceivable evil way. We look at our world today and we are amazed at the wickedness that we see, but imagine. The intent of the law was in essence to reduce the amount of sin that could be committed. The aim of the law was to give to sin the character of transgression and to create within each of us, within the sinner, an awareness of guilt. It showed man. The law showed man that he had willfully violated the law of the sovereign God of the universe. You recall Paul wrote in Romans chapter 4, verse 15 this. He said, because the law produces wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. You see how that fits with what he's saying here in Galatians chapter 3. 
God, as one scholar says, had not communicated any standard of conduct to the people who had only their inner conscience to guide them. God wanted the people to know their sins were transgressions, a word that means a stepping aside or violation of the desired standard. When the Ten Commandments were given, man knew what was right and what was wrong, from God's perspective at least. Human moral relatives were replaced with divine moral absolutes. The law was not added as a codicil to the Abrahamic covenant to serve as some further requirement in order to gain the promise. Rather, it prepared men for salvation. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, Paul says, the law came along to multiply the trespass. When sinners realize the heinous nature of their thoughts, of their words, of their actions, they will know that they are incapable of doing anything to deserve eternal life. That's why the law is given. And notice what he says then in the remaining part of verse 19. He says, why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgression until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. I'll stop there for a moment. Christ is the seed. We know that from verse 16. For Israel, the law had both the beginning Remember, we just read, it was added, and an ending. The word, the time word, until, shows that the first advent of the Lord Jesus terminated the historical purpose of the law. The law was designed to prepare Israel to receive the covenant of promise by putting its faith in the promised seed, namely Christ. With the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the age of legalistic covenant ended and the new covenant of grace began. And concerning the cross, Paul wrote in Colossians 2.14, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. For the individual, the purpose of the law is terminated when that individual places his faith in the seed of Abraham, namely Christ, and thus receives the promise of justification by faith alone, which is what Paul has been teaching up to this point. Now notice the condition or the conditional nature of the law is revealed in the fact that the law, notice the last part of verse 19, the law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. The mediator was Moses. Moses represented both parties. He represented man or Israel before God, and, and he represented God to the people. He spoke to Israel the words of God and gave to God the nation's reply. He was the mediator. God and Israel, interestingly, did not speak to each other directly. In this sense, when you think of it, mediation pointed out the inferiority of the law to the promise. In addition, this verse teaches us that angels took an active part in Sinai. The law was put into effect through them, the passage tells us. You recall that in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, in his sermon, Stephen claimed that Israel, and I quote, received the law under the direction of angels, which is what Paul is telling us here. Angels definitely represented the divine interest in the proceedings. The law needed a mediator to bring the two parties together. 
So the mediator represents two parties, not just one. Now notice the first part of verse 20. Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. This procedure is absolutely essential in the ratification of a conditional covenant between two differing parties. An unconditional covenant, however, needs no mediator, according to Paul. It depends solely upon who? God. He says, but God is one. The giving of a gift depends only upon the desire of the giver, the intended recipient, may accept it or reject it. But he cannot purpose any restrictions upon the giver. So it is with the gift of imputed righteousness, which is what justification is all about. Totally undeserved. We all agree upon that. It is accepted or rejected by the sinner, but he cannot add, the sinner, the recipient, cannot add any requirements for the giving of eternal life. Christ is the mediator between God and man, according to 1 Timothy 2.5. He is the mediator of a new and better covenant, according to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 and 9 and 15. What's interesting is that when you think about it, his role as mediator, however, is different. Why? Because he is both divine and human. He brings together God and man in his person, in his redemptive death. As divine, he represents who? God. As human, he represents man. But God is one. Thus the conditions for justification by faith are all centered in him, the mediator. For all of us, for all of mankind, for all of humankind, Christ is the only way to the Father, according to John chapter 14 and verse 6. For God, he was the means of reconciling the world unto himself, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 19. So in this, these first two verses of this closing section of Galatians chapter 3, we see why the law. We see the purpose of the law. It was certainly never intended to do what the Judaizers were saying its purpose was. It was simply there to prepare men unto salvation, not to reconcile man unto God, for that would be impossible. And all men could testify to that fact. 